Good morning. When uh, we started this uh, series, or maybe it was a sermon or two into it, and yes, we are continuing in our study of the book of Hebrews, I suggested that uh, the key verse for the book of Hebrews was uh, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 and 2. And uh, I challenged the saints to uh, commit those verses to memory. And I promised that I will, would give an opportunity to uh, anybody who wanted to uh, come and, uh, and uh, recite the verses for the saints. Uh, I would give such an opportunity. And if nobody came, we would just read it together as a congregation yet again. So with that, I'd, I'd like to open the floor for nominations. Or rather, anybody who wants to volunteer and attempt to recite Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. We have a volunteer in a Matt. Do I hear a second offer? No. We'll take Matt. Matt is, Matt is a, a very appreciated brother here. Uh, if you can, nice and loud, Matt. Sorry, Matt, I don't have any McDonald's certificates to present you with. <laughs> but thank you, Matt, for uh, committing those verses to memory. It would do us all good uh, to do the same. Trials in the Christian life. Well, that's my title for the sermon, apparently. I put it down at some point and forgot about it. And uh, my brother, Jake, uh, found it in my notes and he put it up there. So Trials in the Christian Life will be our title with the message. About uh, 12 years ago, I was uh, an expecting father, my wife, an expecting mother. And uh, we had a, just had a four-month ultrasound. And that was one of the pictures that was generated by that ultrasound. And uh, if you're like me, a father, you're clueless to what's going on. You know, this whole process. <laughs> but uh, one of the things they do in those ultrasound, they look at the picture of the baby. This is inside the mother's womb, and they take certain measurements, and they try to make sure the child is healthy. And um, they let you know if the child that's growing inside of you is healthy or not. And in this case, uh, the person who was doing the images concluded that there were serious problems with our child. Uh, and we got a call from the doctor, and the doctor explained to us the problem that the doctor was seeing. They said, well, we're not seeing any stomach bubble. That's a problem, because your stomach is supposed to have an empty spot in the middle. Um, you know, we're seeing enlarged ventricles. Ventricles are spaces in your brain. They're not part of your brain. They're kind of spaces in between that are part of the fluid that surrounds your brain is generated there or circulates through there. And that's not a good thing if they're too big. It means there's less space for the brain. And uh, they saw some feature that's associated with Down syndrome. And uh, you can maybe imagine if you, you, know, if you had children um, or you know, I've, I've, I've kind of 
been through you know, the process, known people having children, how devastating that is for new parents to find out that the child they're expecting is going to have serious uh, disabilities. And uh, certainly me and, and Sharon were devastated by that. I remember Sharon you know, getting the news and, and, and crying. Again, I was kind of clueless somewhat to what it really implied, but my wife has worked with people with serious disabilities. She was uh, an optometrist and specialized in helping people that didn't have the natural muscles to control the eye uh, to learn how to use those muscles. So she saw a lot of people with disabilities coming to the clinic. So, you know, here was the child she was carrying was going to have those serious problems uh, potentially for the rest of their lives. And, and that was just very devastating uh, for us as parents. That's, that was uh, perhaps the greatest trial we went through in our lives. They, the Hebrews to whom this uh, letter was written also had trials in their lives. Uh, we know from this epistle that they suffered persecution for their faith in the Lord Jesus. They uh, were mocked by people for believing in Jesus. They were physically abused by people for professing the name of Jesus. They had their possessions taken away because of their faith in Jesus, and some of them were thrown into prison because of their faith in Jesus. And as a result, um, there was a lot of discouragement in the church because of these trials, and perhaps some of them were even thinking, maybe I shouldn't tell people I believe in Jesus, right? If all I need to do is not tell people that I believe in Jesus, and as a result, I don't have to suffer so much, maybe that's an acceptable solution. We want to think about that, how we respond to trials. First, we may want to ask the question, why does God allow trials like that to come into our lives? And there's two good reasons given of why we need trials in our lives offered by the Scripture. The first we could find in James chapter 1 and verses 2 and 4. James says the amazing statement, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. I don't know how many of you here rejoice when you fall into a trial, but that's the command of the scripture to us by James. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. We have uh, four children uh, by the Lord's uh, mercy. Our first child was actually born without any problems, in spite of the doctor's suggesting there would be problems. And we've enjoyed having three children after that. And uh, one of the things we sometimes do with our children is we put them into various classes. And uh, among the classes we put our kids into over the years are gymnastics. I don't know if any of you have done gymnastics or had kids in gymnastics. But uh, I was kind of amazed uh, watching, watching the training of, uh, of young gymnasts. Our children were always in the kind of you know, go out there and have fun kind of class. So the expectation wasn't very high, but those uh, students that wanted to become serious gymnasts uh, would, uh, would uh, practice very hard. And uh, you would see them, uh, I, I was watching them doing this, I think this, uh, I don't know what you call this, a uh, jump where they run and then they put their hands on something and they flip over. The vault. The vault, the vault. And uh, 
you know, the girls were running and they ran very hard and they jump hard, put their hands over it, they do a flip or something like that. I mean, to me, that's pretty amazing. And there was somebody standing there, you know, watching them. And after they got out of the pit, they always told them something wrong that they did. You know, your legs weren't quite straight. You know, you didn't jump high enough, you didn't run high enough, you know, you didn't fall high. I mean, there was always this negative criticism. And yet they would go back and they would do it again. And uh, a lot of them were wearing, you know, some bandage, you know, and a foot or something. I mean, they were getting hurt in what they were doing. And then, you know, they kept doing this, you know, punishing routine. Um, and why? Well, you know, the picture will tell us for that. Right? You know, they wanted to achieve that perfection, that goal, that 10. And no amount of criticism, no amount of suffering was too much for that. Now James tells us something similar about trials, and that's why he says we should actually count it all joy when we fall into various trials. He says, because knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. What he's talking about is us achieving to the character of Christ, right? We are called Christians because we are supposed to emulate Christ and be like him. And you know what? It doesn't happen by itself. You know, I don't, you know, sit on my couch and watch TV and say, okay, I've been a Christian for five years. How close am I to Jesus now? It doesn't happen like that, right? God has to exercise us, just like these gymnasts have to exercise. And that exercise happens through trials, by God bringing difficulties into my life, challenging me, bringing me to a point where I need to trust him in that situation. That's how he's molding my character. And it says in the scripture that they do it for an imperishable, sorry, for a perishable crown, meaning... You know, what, what the gymnasts do, that's not going to last, right? Nobody in heaven will remember they got a gold medal, unless they did it for the Lord. <laughs> but we do it for an imperishable crown, right? We are becoming like the Lord Jesus, right? Has value now and for all of eternity. So it's worth going through trials if that's what happens. Another reason for trials, of why God brings trials into our lives is found in First Peter chapter 1, verse 6. Peter says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if needs be, you have been grieved by various trials. So here again we see there'll be multiple trials in the life of a believer. Both James and Peter tell us that. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So here the value of a trial is that it reveals that our faith is genuine, just like with gold. If you'd bought me something and you told me it was gold, it was worth a lot of money, you know, I might you know, have my doubts, but I could take what you give me and I can subject it to certain tests, and one of those tests could be fire. You know, a lot of metals you know, will melt in the fire, or will corrode, or something will happen to them, they'll transform. But gold is a noble metal, it's not affected by, by fire. 
And so I put it through the gold or whatever chemical test I can subject it to, and that will prove whether it really is gold or not. In the same way, anybody can say that they believe in Jesus, right? Anybody say that they can believe um, that uh, we are made in the image of God, and every human soul is priceless because the Savior shed his blood for that person. But a trial will really show if you believe that. When uh, Sharon and I had this news by the doctor, and this is another thing that I was kind of clueless about, but I learned through the process, is um, abortion is legal in California. Now, I'm not saying anybody should go in and have an abortion, but it's legal in California. But it's limited to a certain number of weeks. I think you have to do it before the 24th week or 25th week, something like that. And uh, when this uh, problem was identified by the doctors in our child, our child was in her 22nd week, which meant there was a relatively short amount, amount of time we could decide if we wanted to have an abortion or not. Again, not that we were thinking about it, but that motivated the doctor. The doctor said, you need to go you know, to this place and have additional tests run to see if this is really the situation with your child uh, because you have a lim limited amount of time to make your decision if you want to keep the child. And uh, Sharon wasn't, you know, we weren't never thinking about that, but, you know, when we called and explained, in Stanford explained what we were in, they rushed us through the process because of it. And after they, you know, they had a, I don't know if we, they had our first scan there or before it, they took us to a person who was a specialist in telling people about the likelihood of their child suffering certain disabilities to help the parent make a decision of whether to have an abortion or not. Why? Because that's the way the world is, right? In this world, if you have a child with a disability, a lot of people will decide to have an abortion, to get rid of that life, really put to death your own child. And that's, by the way, not unique to this country. It's not unique to this time. It's been practiced throughout history. We know from records, records Romans, when they had a child with deformity or a child they didn't want for any reason, they would literally go outside to you know, the local municipality waste heap and throw their child in there, their living child. Um, I was reading recently about C.T. Studd, his biography. He had his first child born in China, and they had a Chinese maid, and they, after the child was born and the child was a daughter, the maid kind of followed them around. They wanted to see what they would do with the daughter. And they asked, what, why are you looking? And she said, well, I want to see if you're going to put her outside because they had a daughter. They expected she would be left outdoors to be eaten by a wild animal because that was normal in that culture at the time. If you didn't have a boy as your firstborn, you know, that's, you know, you, let, you put your daughter outside because the most important thing is to have a boy. <laughs> you know, praise God, he gave me two daughters. I'm very thankful. But... It's really not uncommon in human history at all. If you have an unwanted child, get rid of the unwanted child. But this child was made in the image of God, and he has a, or she has a priceless soul. How can someone tell you believe that? Well, in our case, it was evidenced. Right? You could tell we believe it. We, we told the doctor we don't even want an amnio, because an amnio has this uh, one out of 250 chance of killing your child. <laughs> You know, why would we want an amnio? You know, we're going to keep her, even if she has a disability. So, 
Trials are an opportunity for your faith to be demonstrated. When God brings something to your, into your lives, people are watching because that's when the truth about your faith will be seen. And you know what? It's not just people that are watching, it's God that is watching too. This is what it says in 1 Peter, right? It says that your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ is revealed, he will point to what you did during that trial. And he will say, see, that was the faith I was looking for. Right? I mean, God is impressed by faith. Right? He is interested in your faith. As it is revealed by trials, not as it is professed from your mouth, but as circumstances in your life suggest you do an action which goes against his word, you just say, no, I will do what God has said. That's when your faith is evidenced. Right? And God finds it precious. So, two good reasons for trials in our lives. Now, the reason for this passage is when trials come into our lives, we don't always respond right to those trials. Right? Sometimes we, we make the wrong choice. Right? We could have said, you know what? I, I cannot contemplate having a child with disability. I'm going to have an abortion. You know, I'm going to put this child to death. So I can have a life that's not affected by having a child with disability. We could have made that choice, right? It was possible. Uh, the Hebrews could have chosen to stop confessing the name of Christ and say, you know what? This persecution is too much. I'm going to stop mentioning the name of Jesus. I'm not going to tell people I'm a Christian anymore. Right? So I don't have to suffer. Right? That, that's, that would be a wrong response to a trial. But that's a possible response. Right? We can make wrong responses when we're in trial. So to help us uh, not to, make a, a wrong, to have a wrong response to the trial, we're going to have what we call a counterexample in this passage. Okay? And I'm sorry, this was a rather lengthy introduction. <laughs> um, but let's go ahead and read the passage for today and see what this, this example not to follow, or counterexample as we call it, in the scripture that the author to the Hebrews is bringing to us today. Hebrews chapter three and verse seven. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works 40 years. Therefore I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end while it is said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, 
Was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter because of unbelief. It says here that there was the day of trial in the wilderness. So we have trials. The nation of Israel had trials. Often we think of this period in the wilderness. God just saved Israel out of Egypt, and uh, he's, he's bringing them to the promised land. And they ended up spending 40 years in the desert. We'll see why in today's passage. We think of it as a time of trial for Israel, a time of testing. God was testing them. He brought trials into their lives. Now, it mentions here the day of trial, and there may be some difference in commentators as to which day they would pick. Some people would call that entire 40-year period as a day of trial. Uh, I will pick a particular day, which uh, seems to me to fit best with the passage, and that is the day that Israel heard the news brought to them by the 10 spies. If you remember, they sent uh, 12 spies into Canaan to kind of search out the land before they went in. So God brought them from Egypt all the way to the border of Israel, and they were about to go in and take the promised land. And, and Moses sent 12 spies ahead of them to kind of check things out. Right? And then the spies came back, and they bring a report. So here's, here's the report. We'll, we'll turn to Numbers 13, verse 26, and we'll hear what they said and see if you can catch what the trial is that they were going through. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back wood to them and to all the congregation. They showed them the fruit of the land. So they actually brought with them you know, some of the fruit of the land. They went through the land and they brought some sample. Here's the kind of stuff you find in the land. And it was a very impressive, you know, artifact of the, of the kind of, of fruit that they had in the land. And then they told him and said, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Right? So, so far, so good. You know, God said the land is flowing with milk and honey. It is flowing with milk and honey. It's a good land. Right? There's no dispute here. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the banks of the Jordan. Well, there's a problem, Moses. You didn't tell us there's already people in this land. Right? I mean, here's God. He's bringing them into this land of promise, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he's saying, I'm going to give you this land, but what do you know? There's people there already. What are we going to do, Moses? And by the way, these people are, are strong. And then uh, they have cities. Big cities. And fortify those walls. What are we going to do, Moses? He says there's a problem here. 
Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession for we are able to overcome it. You gotta love Caleb, right? It's like, well, yeah, there's people in the land, big cities and walls, but you know what? We got a big God, right? Remember he got us out of Egypt? And you know what? Egypt was more powerful than all the nations of Canaan put together, right? And God brought them to their knees What's going to stop God from helping us take over the land? Right? I mean, that was sound reasoning by Caleb. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. Notice who they're focusing on. We. Where's God? Didn't God bring you out of Egypt? Right? You're taking him out of the equation. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. This is not a good thing to say about the land God says he's going to give you. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature, there we saw the giants. The descendants of Anak came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried. And the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword and our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let us select a leader and return to Egypt. God said, this is the land. I'm bringing you to the land. And they're like, no, we're going to go back to Egypt. Thank you very much. So what was the trial? The trial was that all of a sudden it looked like they were going to do, have to do some fighting to take the land. And uh, they kind of missed out on God. And this is, we'll see, this is really the root of the problem, right? It's unbelief. It says uh, at the end of the passage we read, so we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. They didn't believe that God was going to help them or that God was powerful enough to help them, right? I mean, they missed out on God somehow. And because of that, they refused to enter the land and were going to go back to Egypt. And uh, their response, we know, uh, God said that they will not enter his rest, meaning the blessing he had for them in coming to the land of Israel, they weren't going to enjoy. Now, God could have actually killed them all, and in fact, he says as much to Moses, and Moses intercedes on their behalf. But God shows mercy to them. He doesn't kill them. But those people who refused to enter the land would miss out on God's blessing for them. They could have been in the promised land. Well, now they're not going to get to be there. Why? Because they, they failed in the trial. Right? Instead of trusting God through the trial that he had for them, they rebelled against God and said, no, we're not going to do that. It would be equivalent to, to us deciding to abort our child. 
or for the Hebrews to, to stop naming the name of Christ. Okay, that would be a failure in the trial. Okay. Uh, in the rest of the passage we have, like really the center of the section we read is what we'll focus on, I see four keys to uh, save us from a wrong response to trials. Right? So this is an example not to follow. And uh, so here are four keys to help us not follow their bad example. All right, the first one uh, is really kind of at the beginning, but then again at the end. It says, today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. The key is to have a soft heart. Right? Do not harden your heart. Now, so that's a, that's a piece of clay. What happens if I was to put my finger into that piece of clay? Yeah, it would go in. It would leave an imprint, right? What happens if that was a stone? Nothing, right? You wouldn't even be able to see my fingerprint on it. And uh, the question here is, how does your heart respond to the word of God? Do you have a soft heart or a hard heart? Right? A soft heart, heart responds to the word of God. God says something, it leaves an imprint on your heart. It makes a difference to you. Right? If you have a hard heart, a stony heart, the word of God has no impact. Right? It doesn't leave an imprint on your heart. And... Um, a good example of, you know, we had a bad example of, of a trial, so I'll give you a good example of a trial. Uh, anybody knows, heard the name before of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Okay. There were uh, three Jews who were uh, captured uh, and uh, carried to Babylon, and, and uh, they were made slaves. They were basically slaves of the king, but they actually rose very, very high in the slavery chart to the point they were governors of the province of Babylon. You know, that's really as high as you could probably reach without being the king yourself. Uh, but King Nebuchadnezzar had uh, an idea of uh, making a big idol, 90 feet tall, actually I think 90 cubits, so that's, you know, I think like 140 feet tall or something like that, made out of gold. And uh, he wanted everybody to worship this idol. Uh, and word came to him that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not worshiping his idol. And why? Why wouldn't they worship the idol? Right? I mean, everybody was doing it. It was the safe thing to do. Well, because somewhere in the Old Testament, God says, you know, you shall worship, you know, only God. Right? And you shouldn't worship any idols. And you know what? They had that soft heart. You know, God's word left an imprint. And they said, uh, we're not supposed to worship idols. Here's the king's command. Here's the king's idol. Here's the word of God. What are you going to do? <coughs> and they said, we're not going to worship that idol. And uh, King Nebuchadnezzar brings him in. And he's like, you know, I'm going to lay it black and white. You know, there's the furnace. There's the furnace. I'm going to give you one more chance. 
You know, when you hear the sound of the music, you know, you had this special music to let people know the right time to worship the idols. All you have to do is worship the idol. If not, that's what's waiting. Right? I'll lay it on the line for you. Do you believe or do you not believe? Right? Here's a trial. And uh, the response is impressive, right? If you've, if you've uh, read it. Let me find it in my notes so I can read it. Right? It says, uh, this is Daniel 3, 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Which is an interesting thing to say for a slave. Right? I mean, you need to obey your master. Now let's elevate that, and your master is, you know, as close as it comes to the king of all the earth. Right? He was in charge of Babylon, the greatest empire the, the world has probably yet seen to that time. His word was law. And with one word, he's going to get them thrown into that furnace. We have no need to answer you. I don't need to answer you about this. Right? Why? It was because of that soft heart to the word of God. We have the word of God on this subject. <laughs> and you know what? The word of God on this subject will trump anything you say or do to us. And uh, they add, if that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor we will we worship the gold image which you have set up. So they recognize that God could save them from the fiery furnace, right? But they said, even if God chooses not to, we're going to obey the word of God. A soft heart, right? That's really... The, the most important defense against a wrong response to a trial. A soft heart for the word of God. Second, thing you need is uh, I, I said it as know your weakness. You can potentially put humility there. Uh, he says he says this in our passage. <clears throat> he says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Uh, we need to not think that this is not speaking about us. Right? We might say, you know what, I'm solid. I mean, this warning about not doing well in trials and that, that's for the weak-hearted. But, you know, I know my heart is true to God. And no matter what the, the devil throws against me, I will be fine. Right? I'll be faithful to God. Right? That's the wrong attitude. <laughs> okay. He says, beware, brethren. Right? It says this in uh, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians uh, 10, 12. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Right? Don't think you're standing. Don't think you got things covered. 
recognize your own weakness. It says, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. You know what? The scripture, scripture tells us we all have an evil heart, right? The heart is deceitfully, deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We often sing the hymn. In fact, I think we sang it this morning at the breaking of bread. Come thou found. It says, O to grace, how great a dead or daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a feather bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. We, we have a wandering heart, right? We have a tendency to not be faithful to God. And uh, so we need to beware, right, of trials, right? We need to watch our hearts in trials. <clears throat> the third, third key is uh, mutual support, right? He says... <clears throat> But exhort one another daily while it is called today. Exhort one another. He tells us we need to help one another, right? So I have trials in my life. You come alongside me, you help me. You have a trial in your life, I come alongside you. I help you. We need to exhort one another. Now, the word exhort uh, is a, a word that we don't often use in our, our typical vocabulary. So I looked up the Greek word behind the word exhort in this passage is parakaleo. And uh, what it literally means is call near. Right? Para is, uh, is near and kaleo is call. And uh, I was, uh, if, if uh, I'm going through a trial and uh, brother Matt here hears about the trial I'm going through and he picks up the phone and he says, uh, Noad, I, <coughs> I understand you're in this situation, and I want you to know the one thing you must not do is uh, abort your child. Uh, that would be wrong to do. Click. <laughs> Matt didn't come very close to me, you know, in this, in this particular exhortation. He didn't call me close. There wasn't that nearness. Right? Now, if, uh, if Matt comes and he talks to me and and wants to hear about my child and the issues that my child are going to have and pray with me about those issues and share with me about what's going on in his life and, and then share encouraging, encouraging words, it's a lot more likely to encourage me and to help me, right? Uh, there's this thing called uh, gravitational sling. I'm wondering how many of you are familiar with it. Uh, probably our brother Sam could tell us more about it uh, than I can, except that I don't see him here. But <clears throat> when, when we send, uh, you know, satellites or spaceships uh, out to outer space, we're very limited with what we can do because it's, it takes a lot of energy to get something off the Earth, right? You need a lot of fuel, a lot of boosting power for every kilogram you send up to space. And the more fuel you put on it, the heavier it gets. So, you know, it's kind of this limited thing. How are we going to send the satellite all the way to uh, Saturn, you know, as is shown in that picture. 
And what they, they discovered or learned or figured out is you can use this thing called a gravitational sling. And a gravitational sling works that way is that when uh, you, so you send a satellite out to space and it clears out the Earth, okay, and it kind of goes some distance, and then you can bring it back around and you can swing it by the Earth on its way to the next planet, and it actually gets some energy from the Earth. That's what the gravitational sling wins. So it gets some of the, of the speed that is in the Earth actually goes into that satellite, and it sends it farther. And then you bring it around again, and maybe go around Venus this time. And next time, go around Jupiter, and then you can get to Saturn, right? So in, in a similar way, for us in our uh, walk with the Lord, in order to, to have uh, the power or the energy to live the life that God calls us, we need to get energy from one another, right? This is this calling near. If, I, if Matt comes near me and he shares with me some of his faith, some of his encouragement, sharing me maybe with me some of his trials, it gives me that extra energy in the trial that I'm going through to overcome it. And next time my brother Matt is struggling and I come alongside him and I encourage him, I give him that extra energy. Right? So we're in this together, brothers and sisters. Right? Living the Christian life is not something you can do on your own. It's something you need encouragement from others. Right? That's, that's the third, third key to, uh, to avoid a wrong response for trials. It's really one another. You need help. I need help. Let's help one another in the trials we're going through. The fourth one I call um, be careful with your mouth. Be careful with your mouth. It says, for we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our, confi of, of our confidence steadfast to the end. Uh, in the previous verse, it said, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. When we uh, face trials in our lives, uh, we're really entering spiritual warfare, and one of the uh, strength of, of the enemy is that of deception, right? And uh, sin deceives us into thinking that there is an alternative better than following God's will for us. So God's will for us was very clear in our trial. It's not to have an abortion. Keep our child. Right? In the case of the Hebrews, it was very clear. Confess the name of Jesus. Be faithful to the Lord Jesus in spite of what happened. Right? But sin might deceive us and say, no, really, your life will be better if you terminate the child or if you stop confessing the name of Jesus. Right? In the case of the nation of Israel, you know what? It actually will be better for us to go back to Egypt right, than going into the promised land. Now, this is what we mean by the deception of sin. It's not true. It's, it's really not true that there's an alternative better than the will of God in our lives. Now, let's go ahead and start with Israel as an example. Would it be better for them to go back to Egypt? Well, what happened in Egypt? The last time I checked, you were slaves, right? And not just slaves, they were making you work hard and making your life bitter. And on top of that, they were forcing you to throw your newborn sons into the Nile River. I don't think life in Egypt was very good, okay? 
Now, let's look at the other way. What about if we do God's will and we go into the promised land? Well, first of all, in spite of your thinking it would happen, none of you is going to die, right? Because God is going to lead you. You have an all-powerful God helping you get into the land of Israel. You know, it's, they, at some point they suffered casualties because they actually disobeyed God, right? The case of Ai. But as long as they were faithful and obeying God, not a single casualty entering into the land. Absolutely miraculous, right? So nothing bad will actually happen following God's will. Second, you know, you get to enjoy a land flowing with milk and honey, right? This wonderful land that God has set aside for you, much better than Egypt, much better than the wilderness, you'll actually get to enjoy all the fruits of the land. Now, on top of that, and really beating all of it, is you'll get to enjoy being God's special people. Right? God brought them out of Egypt, and he told them, you will be my special nation, and I, you know, you, as long as you obey me, I'll give you every bless, blessing that heaven and earth can generate. Right? If they would obey God and go into the promised land, they will enjoy all of God's blessings. Right? They'll enjoy communion with the living God. God would be dwelling in their midst. Right? So, much better to follow the will of God, right? In that case, than do what they thought which was better, which is going to, uh, back to Egypt. Now, let's think about the Hebrews, right? So, the Hebrews, well, you know, if I confess the name of Jesus, I might be persecuted, right? I might be mocked, I might be beaten, I might have my possessions taken away, I might uh, be thrown into prison, I might even die, even though that hasn't happened yet. Right? It's, those are possibilities. Now, it's possible that that <coughs> would not happen, right? We, we know that persecution is common, <coughs> but not everybody who confesses the name of Christ gets persecuted, right? I've, I've suffered very little persecution in my life for confessing the name of Jesus. Even in the case of the Hebrews, it seems like the persecution was waning down. If you, we jump to the last chapter, chapter 13, he mentions that Timothy was re released from prison, right? And, and the author himself is hoping to be released from prison soon. So it actually seems like the persecution is tapering off. So you know what? Confessing the name of Jesus may not result in persecution after all. But let's say it does. Let's say it does. Well, what did Jesus say? Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. All right, let's say the worst happens and you get persecuted. And let's say the worst happens and, and you go to, you die. Well, what happens? Well, you go to heaven. Right, well, that's not so bad. Well, and not only that, you get rewarded. You know, God has been watching you on the earth suffering for his name, and now in heaven, it is his good pleasure to pour rewards upon you for suffering for him. That's not so bad. Now, if you think about it, we're all going to die. Right? We're all probably will suffer. You know, it's possible you'll be one of the few who, you know, somehow get killed instantaneously and you won't have to suffer, but most of us will suffer and we'll suffer pretty bad before we die. So, wouldn't it be better to suffer for the name of Jesus and when you go to heaven to be rewarded for it? If I have to suffer and die anyways, 
why not make the most out of it? <laughs> Seems kind of strange, maybe. <laughs> right? But it's true. Isn't God's way the best way? I want to, to finish with just thinking about these words. Right? Again, we're thinking about this last, you know, last key for not making, uh, you know, not responding in the wrong way to trials is doing the math right. And I just want to finish with this thought that we have become partakers of Christ. Right? We have become partakers of Christ. Um, again, it's not a word we... we we uh, commonly think of becoming partakers. What does it mean to become partakers of Christ? When uh, my wife made a wonderful decision to marry me, she, uh, she became partaker of me, right? Which means everything I own now belongs to her too, including myself, right? According to the scripture, I don't even own myself. My wife owns me. Well, wonderfully, the same thing happened to us when we got saved. Is we, and the scripture describes it as a marriage between us and Christ. We become partakers of him, which means Jesus and everything Jesus has belongs to us too. Letting that sink in. <laughs> what is, that, is there that the world can offer that's better than Jesus? A relationship with the living God and having a share of everything that God has. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we recognize that trials do come into our lives, and we don't want to make light of, of the trials that any of us are experiencing. We know they're real. We know they are designed to have a, this desired impact in our lives of making us like your son and, and giving our testimony reality and a, a real impact uh, in this world and, and in heaven itself. And we just pray for anybody here who may be going through trials that you might help them hold on to you. To recognize that in you they have the true riches, the true uh, eternal glory, and that uh, nothing on earth, nothing that sin might suggest to us is worthy to be compared with that. And we do pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.